0: Welcome to the audio podcast for the main service of Northridge Church. Our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and challenges you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for today. Good morning, everybody, and good morning we have an incredibly attractive crowd. Um, I'm married to half of the people sitting in here this morning, and the other half are like family, so, well, I guess, Josiah's not sitting, so he doesn't count as a... Sit. <laughs> My wife is disagreeing with everything I've said so far in today's message, and um, so this, this is going to be a, a dangerous day. Uh, welcome, I'm speaking primarily to you online. Uh, we've invited people to be a part of our live studio audience, and um, and we do need to find a way to communicate this a little bit better because if you're not on Facebook you probably wouldn't have heard the fairly last minute news that um, we are going to online for today. The plan is to do this for this week. We don't know what the future holds but uh, this week was a bit of a perfect storm where we had a lot of our leadership who are are actively not well, uh, a myriad of different uh, illnesses but uh, actively not well and uh, we the weather was a little unpredictable, and the uh, the parking lot is a disaster, so there's some things that we need to figure out, and so we just felt, you know it's probably safe, it's probably best if uh, if you stay home. So to those of you who are tuning in live right now, welcome. Uh, Today is going to be like story time. Uh, we'll get to that in just a minute, but uh, I'm excited to share two chapters of S- uh, First Samuel with you. Before we do that, however, we're going to carry on as we've talked about committing to this three for 23 this praying for three people throughout 2022 in anticipation for 2023 and so if you'll join me today and uh, again I, I hope that you've been really considering who it is you're going to be praying for in this entire year and like I said we're going to be taking time apart every Sunday morning and hopefully you do it throughout the week where you're praying for these three specific people and Josiah do you mind putting that on the screen just so We've we've got it here. Sorry, we've got three different type of people, types of people that uh, we want you to be praying for. First, person number one we're describing is someone who does not yet know Jesus. As uh, as far as you know, you don't know if they have any kind of relationship with Jesus, and so we want you to be fervently and consistently, routinely bring them. We we mentioned um, Romans one nine where Paul describes how he mentions their names in front of, like, he brings them to the Father. Anytime he prays, he mentions their names. This is what we're doing. We're mentioning the name of someone who does not yet know Jesus. second person is someone who knows Jesus, or who you believe to know Jesus, but isn't gathering as the church. Not gathering here at Northridge, not gathering anywhere that you know of as the church. And so we want to be praying that this person would find their back into gathering with other Christians in the church. And the third person is someone who identifies as a Northridger but isn't around very often. And the, the latter two people can be a little bit, um, uh, not controversial, but they can raise some eyebrows in the sense that we've put such a focus on them gathering and being a part of the church. Now, following Jesus isn't f- just about being in church. Someone once coined the the phrase that being Church in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. This is where you guys laugh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you, and and that is true. But it it is it's a step. It's a step where where you you're committing. You're setting aside that time for corporate worship, for coming under the word, for fellowshipping, spending time. Even today, even though it's a small group, been blessed by the interactions with those who are here, and we want that for everyone. And so if they're not yet gathering as the church. We want them to find a home, whether it be here in Northridge or somewhere where they are gathering as a church. And then, again, someone who is a Northridger but isn't necessarily gathering here at Northridge, um, even if they find a home in another church, that's fine, too. But we, we want everybody to be connected so deeply that it's a part of their week. It's something they, they can't miss out on. And so that's what we're praying for. Um, Those are the names we want you to mention before the Father, and we're going to take time, even though it's really bad for TV right now, I want to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and consider these three people, mention them before the Father. We're going to do that for, good morning, we're going to do that for a couple minutes right now, and uh, then we'll get into the Word. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's pray. I pray that you would take these times and uh, we know that you you're not overwhelmed by all of the voices sharing all the names at once. in your omnipotence in your omniscience, uh, you know our hearts you know these names you know these people. And so Father, I pray that you would bring them into relationship with you that you would call them to yourself that you would soften your soften their hearts, prepare for them, Prepare them for interactions where we get to be face-to-face or on the phone and, and just connect and, and be invitational throughout the year. Bless this and bless these people in Jesus' name, amen. And good morning. <laughs> Alright, so as I mentioned, today we're going to be, it's pretty much story time. Um, we're reading through, we're learning through through much of 1st and 2nd Samuel between now and the end of March. And last week we started things off with 1st Samuel chapter 8 where you'll remember that uh, the people of Israel, despite the fact that God has acted as their king, has, has led them into the promised land and now they've settled in the promised land. They, they've won every victory, they've stomped on every enemy and yet the people cry out, no we want a king just like these other people. And Samuel, who was the acting prophet at the time, the judge of Israel, was offended on behalf of God. He, he just can't believe that these people would be turning their backs on their king, on the king of kings. And Samuel had this perspective, like, we, we get to be led, we get to be under the king of kings, and you want a human king? And it's just, it blows his mind, and for good reason. But we move beyond that, remember, God's not offended. He says, he even tells Samuel, he says, it's not about you, Samuel. You're doing a great job. It's me that they're rejecting. It's me there, And we'll give them a king, but you need to warn them that it's not going to go well for them. That having an earthly king isn't everything you'd ever hope for. And, and we see it even today. We, we pray and we want to uplift and support our leaders, whether it be at the municipal, provincial or federal level, or global levels, um, I don't know what global leader we have but uh, at the, we want to we want to be praying for our leaders but we we see the flaws we see that the shortcomings we can see where it doesn't line up with with what God has for us um, and so we can relate to a lot of these things that God has said you know he warned us that our king would not be everything we hope for but he says we're going we're going to find them a king and so God orchestrates through Samuel, a plan, kickstarts his plan, to find and anoint the first king of Israel. And so today I'm literally going to be reading you a story. And I've chosen, I don't usually do this, but I've chosen to use the message version because it is a bit of a storytelling, uh, relatable format. And there's a couple of words that I've highlighted in my notes, and that you, those of you here will, will see highlighted, and I want to teach to those. Then I want to draw one observation, and I'll qualify that in a little bit, but let me just read to you, you can settle in. If you want to read long, again, this is the message version, this is 1 Samuel chapter 9, we'll go right into chapter 10. So 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 to 4 starts like this. There was a man from the tribe of Benjamin named Kish. He was the son of Abiel, grandson of Zeror, grandson of Bechorah. Great great grandson of Aphiah, a Benjamite of stalwart character. He had a son, Saul, a most handsome young man. There was none finer. He literally stood head and shoulders above the crowd. Now, some of Kish's donkeys got lost. Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. Saul took one of the servants and went to find the donkeys. They went into the hill country of Ephraim around Shalisha that couldn't find them. Then they went over to Shalem, no luck. Then to Jabin, still nothing. When they got to zuff Paul said to the young man with him, Enough of this, let's go back. Soon my father is going, be for- is going to forget about the doggies and start worrying about us. But he replied, Not so fast. There's a holy man in this town. He carries a lot of weight around here. What he says is always right on the mark. Maybe he can tell us where to go. Saul said, if we go, what do we have to give him? There's no more bread in our sacks. We have nothing, nothing to bring as a gift to the Holy Man. Do we have anything else? I'm going to pause here for a second. This is an interesting dynamic, and I actually went into this a little bit more deeply in, in the commentaries. This idea of, of payment for for the holy man. And it was a common practice. And, and Saul mentioned bread or, or anything else as a gift for this holy man. And it it feels really wrong. As, as a pastor today, uh, if somebody came into my office and we spent some time and, and some counseling was done, um, I, I wouldn't expect that they leave me a gift or leave me a payment. Um, it's kind of a part parcel of the ministry that I've, I've signed up for. And it, so it seems a little dirty almost that, that Samuel, who we can know to be the Holy Man he's talking about, it, Samuel would be prepared to take uh, a gift or an offering of bread or something. So it, there's a bit of a, a, a funny feeling about the whole thing, but I, rather than focus on that, I want you to focus on Saul's heart posture here. This is actually something I see as a positive. Saul sees of value in the word of this holy man. He sees that there's something to be prized, something to be valued uh, in this interaction. And he feels inadequate. He's humbled himself. There's a a beautiful heart posture in this moment where it's like, but we don't have anything to give in exchange for this service. I don't want to go too far down that rabbit trail. It's uh, an interesting study, but... um, just kind of want to identify that there is a grain of something there with Saul. Let's pick up in verse 8. It says this, The servant spoke up, Look, I just happen to have this silver coin. I'll give it to the holy man, and he'll tell us how to proceed. In former times in Israel, a person who wanted to seek God's word on a matter would say, Let's visit the seer, because the one we now call the prophet used to be called the seer. Now, if you're in the building, you would see that I've got this word seer highlighted, and that's for good reason. That if if you're like me, that word can trip you up. And this is a seer is the is the word most commonly used in the message. It's in a couple other versions as well. But when I think of seer, I think of um, almost like a psychic or um, somebody who dabbles in the dark arts, really, uh, to be a fortune teller or something. And the word can be a distraction for us, but we need to understand there's a cultural uh, attachment to that name. It really is another another term for the prophet. We can we can know that Samuel was was acting as a prophet of God. We don't need to wonder or worry about his motives or his source of supernatural revelation. He has this this history, this reputation of being a, a man when he says something it it comes to pass. He is in tune and in line with with what God has for us. And so don't let that word seer be a distraction for you. I just wanted to clarify that. Carrying on in in 1 Samuel 9, it says, Good, said Saul, let's go. And they set off for the town where the holy man lived. As they were climbing up the hill into the town, they met some girls who were coming out to draw water. They said to him, Is this where the seer lives? They answered, It sure is, just ahead, hurry up. He's come today because the people have prepared a sacrifice at the shrine. Um, And I've highlighted this word shrine. And this is the last time I'll do this and and break the fourth wall and and, and talk about the the terminology here. This word is important. And we'll come back to it in just a little bit. Uh, Shrine, for me, conjures up um, images. Sometimes it can be fairly innocuous, it could just be a memorial. Sometimes when somebody passes, people will set up a, a plaque or, or a statement or some, some symbolic gesture to, to remind people of, of the life that was lived. But sometimes shrine could be a deeply religious and spiritual um, observation where it's a place of worship, and often a place of worshiping false gods. If you've noticed, if you've taken note of the geography ...that Saul and his servant were were carrying on in. You'll notice they're they're climbing up into the high places. And that's a term you'll see in other uh, versions of this scripture. The high places. And the full story with that is the high places were set up... ...as places of worship for the false gods... ...that were worshipped by the countries that had been conquered by Israel... So the people that were in this land before Israel, they would set up shrines, they would set up uh, places of worship in the high places. And that's where they would worship their false gods. So this physical location might have and likely would have been used at another an earlier time as a place of worship for a false god. So for some people, this could really kind of get your spidey senses tingling. Like, why is Samuel a prophet of God? Why is he associating or, or being in a place like this? Such an evil place with such deep, spiritual, dark significance. And I, I want to come back to that idea at the end of this. So I've, I've got a fair ways to go. But this word shrine... Um, you need to understand, is a place that is not actively being used as a shrine to another God. This is a place that it would be almost like a gathering place for a church. Let's carry on here for a little bit. Um, The people won't eat until he arrives, for he has to bless the sacrifice. Only then can everyone eat. So get going, you're sure to find him. They continued their climb and entered the city, and then there he was, saggingly. Coming straight toward them on his way to the shrine. Now the very day before, God had confided in Samuel, this time tomorrow I'm sending a man from the land of Benjamin to meet you. You're to anoint him as prince over my people Israel. He will free my people from Philistine oppression. Yes, I know all about their hard circumstances. I've heard their cries for help. The moment Samuel laid eyes on Saul, God said, he's the one, the man I told you about. This is the one who will keep my people in check. Saul came up to Samuel in the street and said, Pardon me, but can you tell me where the seer lives? I am the seer, said Samuel. Accompany me to the shrine and eat with me. In the morning, I'll I'll tell you all about what's on your mind and send you on your way. And by the way, your lost donkeys, the ones you've been hunting for the last three days, have been found. So don't worry about them. At this moment, Israel's future is in your hands." Saul answered, But I'm only a Benjamite from the smallest of Israel's tribes and from the most insignificant clan in this tribe at that. Why are you talking to me like this? Saul's first reaction to the, the grandeur, the, the largesse of, of what um, Samuel is saying is, is to kind of walk it down. No, you can't be talking about me. I'm from the smallest tribe, and not just that, from the smallest clan of the smallest tribe. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. But Samuel took Saul and his servant and led them into the dining hall at the shrine and seated them at the head of the table. There were about 30 guests. Then Samuel directed the chef, bring the choice cut I pointed out to you, the one I told you to reserve. The chef brought it and placed it before Saul with a flourish, saying, this meal was kept aside just for you. Eat It was especially prepared for this time and occasion with these guests. Saul ate with Samuel on a more memorable day. Afterward, they went down from the shrine into the city. A bed was prepared for Saul on the breeze-cooled roof of Samuel's house. They woke at the break of day. Samuel called to Saul on the roof. Get up, and I'll send you off. Saul got up, and the two of them went out into the street. As they approached the outskirts of town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell your servant to go on ahead of us. You stay with me for a bit. I have a word from God, excuse me, a word of God to give to you. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, and kissed him. He said, Do you see what this means? God has anointed you prince over his people. This sign will confirm God's anointing of you as prince over his inheritance. After you leave me today, as you get closer to your home country of Benjamin, you'll meet two men near Rachel's tomb. They'll say the donkeys you went to look for are found. Your father has forgotten about the donkeys and is worried about you, wringing his hands quite beside himself. Leaving there, you'll arrive at the oak of Tabor. There you'll meet three men going up to worship God at Bethel. One will be carrying three young goats, another carrying three sacks of bread, and the third a jug of wine. They'll say, hello, how are you? And offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept. Next, you'll come to Gibeah of God, where there's a Philistine garrison. As you approach the town, you'll run into a bunch of prophets coming down from the shrine, playing harps and tambourines, flutes and drums. And they'll be prophesying. Before you know it, the Spirit of God will come on you, and you'll be prophesying right along with them. And you'll be transformed. You'll be a new person. When these confirming signs are accomplished, you will know that you are ready. Whatever you're given to do, do it. God is with you. Now go down to Gilgal, and I will follow. I'll come down and join you in worship by sacrificing burnt offerings and peace offerings. Wait seven days, then I'll come and tell you what to do next. This is important. Saul turned to Samuel. At that very moment, God transformed him, made him a new person. And all the confirming signs took place that same day. Then Saul, when Saul and his party got to Gibeah, there were the prophets right in front of them. Before he knew it, the Spirit of God came on Saul and he was prophesying right along with them. When those who had previously known Saul saw him prophesying with the prophets, they were totally surprised. What's going on here? What's come over this son of Kish? How on earth did Saul get to be a prophet? One man spoke up and said, Who started this? Where did these people ever come from? That's how the saying got started. Saul among the prophets. Who would have guessed? When Saul was done prophesying, he returned home. His uncle asked him and his servant, So where have you been all this time? What a story to tell, eh? Out looking for the donkeys. We looked and looked and couldn't find them. And then we found Samuel. So, said Saul's uncle, what did Samuel tell you? Saul said, He told us not to worry. The donkeys had been found. But Saul didn't breathe a word to his uncle of what Samuel had said about the king business. But then everything kind of gets brought out. This is 1 Samuel 10, verse 17. Samuel called the people to assemble before God at Mizpah. He addressed the children of Israel. This is God's personal message to you. I brought Israel up out of Egypt. I delivered you from Egyptian oppression. Yes, from all the bullying governments that made your life miserable. And now you want nothing to do with your God, the very God who has a history of getting you out of trouble of all sorts. And now you say, no, we want a king. Give us a king. Well, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. Present yourselves formally before God, ranked in tribes and families. So he's asking people to to gather themselves in their tribes, in the different tribes of Israel, and then within those tribes, in the families, in the clans of those tribes. Well, verse 20 says this. After Samuel got all the tribes of Israel lined up, the Benjamin tribes were picked. Then he lined up the Benjamin tribe in family groups, and the family of Matri was picked. The family of Matri took its place in the lineup, and the name Saul, son of Kish, was picked. But when they went looking for him, he was nowhere to be found. Samuel went back to God. Is he anywhere around? God says, yes, he's right over there, hidden in that pile of baggage. They ran and got him. He took his place before everyone, standing tall, head and shoulders above them. I'm going to pause there for a second. We see, even though uh, Saul has had all of these revelations, everything that Samuel said via the prophecy of God that he said was going to happen, It happened not just to Saul, but it happened through Saul. Saul would have been almost this passenger in this moment of prophetic worship of God. God would have used him to prophesy, to speak words that weren't his own. He's had this whole experience, but still Saul is hidden in among the baggage, knowing that to be amongst the people would cause him to be picked, and put forward into a place that he did not feel ready to be put forward into. But there he was. He took his place before everyone, standing tall, head and shoulders above them. Verse 24 says, Samuel then addressed the people. Take a good look at whom God has chosen, the best. No one like him in the whole country. Then a great shout went up from the people. Long live the king. Samuel went on to instruct the people in the rules and regulations involved in a kingdom, wrote it all down in a book, and placed it before God. Then Samuel sent everyone home. Saul also went home to Gibeah, and with him some true and brave men whom God moved to join him. But the riffraff went off muttering, Deliver! Don't make me laugh! They held him in contempt and refused to congratulate him. But Saul paid him no mind. That's the story for today. And I, I actually was talking to Carol Lee as we were driving in this morning and explained to her how I have a little bit of uneasiness drawing out uh, this message that I believe God has for us this morning from this story. And the reason I have uneasiness is, um, is if I were to disciple, if I were, if I were bringing along a future preacher, I Wouldn't counsel them to do what I'm about to do now. We're we've we've just read through a story It's narrative in nature. It's telling the history of Israel. It's telling the story of Saul being anointed as king of Israel Um, And and so we've got to be careful Not to look for connections that aren't there, but I really believe there are two things uh, that are a word for us today something Uh, to draw out of this and and there's two things I want you to pay attention to the first we talked about the shrine we talked about the shrines where where Samuel would would do his prophetic work where he would be a prophet of God where he would lead people in worship where he would do the sacrifices well we know historically we we will see biblically The time when God says, enough of this. We've got to tear down all of the high places. We've got to put an end to worship in these places. And this tells us there was an imperfection. There there was something not right about these high places. And yet, God used Samuel in this high place. In fact, he would have directed him to these high places, to these shrines to do his work at that time. So it's an imperfect place, it's an imperfect situation for Samuel to be doing the perfect work of God. That's the first thing I want you to take note of. And the second is this. The first king of God's chosen people, the first king of Israel, Saul, was far from perfect. Even though Samuel, in his great speech, when he introduced Saul... He, he pointed out that he's a, he's a head and a half, taller than everybody else. He's this good-looking, charismatic man. There's none like him in all of the land. God, through Samuel, prophesied that having a human king would not go well for his people. This is not what God wanted for his people. This was not plan A. This is not his intention for his people. And yet, we also see very clear language that God has hand-picked Saul for this moment. That he is the man to set his people free from the Philistines. So here's the connection that I want to draw your attention to with these two things. In both cases, they are imperfect. The shrines, the high places, are an imperfect place that would someday be wiped out Be abolished by God. But they were a place being used by God for worship of Him. Saul was a very imperfect man. We're going to see his shortcomings and and his failings. And all those things were prophesied by God. And yet God chose to use him in this moment. And I think it's a lesson to us all in a couple of capacities. I know that uh, personally, and actually, just even last night, I spoke with a with a man who seems to be you know at this point of a holding pattern and waiting, waiting for God to make him ready for something new, something uh, a way that he could be used by God. And I know for me, uh, when I first got into this whole business of pastoring. Um, I think he revealed in my heart this arrogance that I struggle with, this overconfidence that I've battled. And and I prayed the unwise prayer to be humbled. And and it's not I call it unwise because it's 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 a hard one to have God work in you. But I I felt like he needed to do a work in me before I would be ready to do anything else. And and I think that we often feel like we need to be perfect before God can use us, or we need to be better before God can use us. And, and the word that I'm drawing out today, the word that I have for our church, for Northridge Church, for the people viewing today, is, is quit waiting. You're as ready as God needs you to be to do the things he's called you to do. You don't need to be more ready. You don't need to do things in your human strength to prepare for the way God wants to use you. He's enough. He's our source. He's our inspiration, and inspiration more than just the is that a Bette Midler song? You're the inspiration. Is that no? It's not Bette Midler. It's somebody. Uh, that's that's not the inspiration we're talking about. We're talking about the the filling of the Spirit, the inflowing of the Spirit that capital I, Inspiration. It can become the engine, the power, the source of strength that we need to do the things he's called us to do. And we don't need to be in a certain stage of development in order to be used by God. And we see this in high places, and we see this in Saul. I think what we're called to do is submit. Called to humble ourselves, acknowledge that, that God is God, that He is our King. And what we do with a King is we fall. We don't question, we fall. And that's what we're called to do today. The title of this sermon series is Rebellion Meets Mercy. And, and I believe that I know personally I, I am in this constant state of rebellion, where my selfishness wants to put me on the throne. I want to be in control of my own life. It's this act of rebellion against who should be the king on the throne of my life. And really what I deserve in that rebellion is destruction. I deserve punishment. And yet, I get mercy. He chooses to use me in my brokenness despite my rebellion. And really what we're called to do is submit under his lordship and follow. And obviously, that would have been plan A for Saul, that he would have been this king that would just submit to God, listen to the wise words of Samuel, God's prophet, and do as he tells him so that he can lead his people effectively. And unfortunately, we're going to see in the coming weeks that uh, Saul falls short of that. He does a lot of things right, but he's got some significant shortcomings that... that, um, well, you'll see. Um, let me close in prayer, and then we'll say goodbye. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And it's funny, I just, even this week, spent some time preparing for the summer when we're going to be teaching through the Psalms. And I just, even though we're going to see the same character, David in Second Samuel, as we will see in the Psalms, what you've given us as a gift of your word. There's such different pieces of of writing and literature, and yet you can use the narrative and the poetic to bring us closer to you, to reveal your character, to, to teach us more about what you want for us and from us. And so, Father, today, even though we're separated geographically, Lord, I pray that you would unite us, under this calling to submit to you, to submit to your lordship, to embrace your word, uh, to tether ourselves to its teachings and be blessed by it. Father, um, today the the things that have caused us to be separated are are far from ideal. And and we know that there are people who are are, are really having a tough time health-wise right now. And so, Lord, we pray blessings. Lord, we pray healing. households. We pray that there would be health and healing and that it would be miraculous and that you would get the glory. Father, bless us today. Help us to make the connections we need to make. Help us soften our hearts so that we would submit fully and wholly to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I want to thank our lovely live studio audience. And uh, I want to say thank you for joining us live online or if you're watching this after the fact on our website, be blessed and be safe. Thank you for joining us for our main service. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church or if you just want to talk to someone about what you've heard on this podcast, please email us at info at nrchurch.ca. We'd love to get to know you better. Until then, be safe and be blessed.